The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hey everyone, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter, and you're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings behind many great movies and TV shows. And today is a big one. We are discussing a movie that continues to break all sorts of records. As of this past weekend, it has made over $1.69 billion worldwide, ranking it as the number one six, number sixth movie of all time. So it's falling behind Avatar, Avengers Endgame, Titanic, Star Wars The Force Awakens, and Avengers Infinity War. So if all those clues or our episode title have not clued you in yet on what you're actually listening to, we are discussing all things related to the newest Marvel blockbuster film, Spider-Man No Way Home. And joining me from across the multiverse are my friends who are going to join me in talking about this awesome movie. First of all, we have Andrew Hermes. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. It's awesome to have you. We also have Mike Creevy. Hey, I'm excited to jump into this one for sure. And finally, we have Thomas Salerno. Hey, Thomas. Hey, guys. It is great to be here to talk about yet another Marvel hit, I think. (laughs) It's truly marvelous. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, that's, I don't do dad jokes, but on occasion. Um, so we're going to just jump right into this because this is such a uh, big movie and there's a lot to talk about. So kind of my, my first question that I just want to throw out to, to you guys is, you know, what did you think of this movie? Was it worth all the hype? You know, is this theatrical success a true indicator of what this movie is all about? Um, is it better than that or is it even worse, perhaps, uh, in your in your opinion? So some have even called this the best MCU movie ever. So I kind of want to know what you guys thought. Um, agree, disagree. And uh, tell me what you thought. Well, you know, I did. I think I thought it would have been a very, very long time before I had a theatrical experience like Endgame. Yeah, um, I thought I would have to wait, you know, maybe another decade. You know, I mean, how long did it take to set Endgame up? It took a decade, right? So I I didn't think that like so soon, just, a, you know, just a few years removed from uh, a couple years, really removed from Endgame that I would sit in a theater and, and just have the same sort of emotional and communal and all that sort of stuff that, I, you know, I'm sure everyone's familiar with having seen it for the, you know, remembering their first time watching this film uh, in the theaters. So, uh, yeah, it's it's for me. When when you I know we're going to dig into this movie and 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 break it down, you know, I, I wouldn't call it uh, the best Marvel film. Uh, it's probably upper tier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely top tier, actually. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely say that. Um, but it's arguable whether it's the best Spider-Man film. But mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, if you're, if, you know, these movies are supposed to entertain us. And this is definitely the most entertaining Spider-Man film. This is definitely the most 
satisfying uh, f- fan service in a very good way. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a cheap way at all, I don't think. Um, and, uh, and I think most people would agree with that. And I feel like they delivered on the hype. And, and, and for a movie that was so like, I mean, the spoilers are out there for so long. And, you know, Andrew Garfield had to lie for like two years. <laughs> um, and uh, now he's relieved <laughs> that, that he can just live freely um, for the movie to still deliver on it with with a, a good portion of the audience kind of knowing what the big surprises were. I thought was was uh, a big credit to the film and, and how good it really was, because at the end of the day, it still was a good Spider-Man movie, a good Peter Parker movie, a good Tom Holland specific Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think they took away uh, at all from uh, what his uh, character had to go through. I mean, out of all the Tom Holland movies, this is definitely the one that affects him the most <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and, and really changes the course of his character. So um, I love the heck out of this movie. Um, it probably will end up being my favorite Spider-Man movie um, up there with Sp- the original Spider-Man too. But, uh, but yeah, it was everything I wanted and, and more. So I totally dug it. It's interesting because I actually went into this movie a little bit apprehensive. And that's only because I was kind of lukewarm on the first two MCU Spider-Man movies. And I, I don't know. I'm not as sure what it was, whether it was because he was so reliant on the Stark technology or that I thought, the Vulture and Mysterio, because they had beefs with Tony Stark, I felt that kind of uh, distracted from the conflict with Peter. But I don't know, like uh, not, there were aspects of both those movies that I really, really liked, but neither of them really stuck the landing for me personally. And so with this third one, I was kind of like, even with all the spoilers that were out there, I was like, uh, I don't know. And I saw the trailers and from what I gleaned from at least some of the trailers was, okay, this is kind of going to be a Spider-Man, Doctor Strange team up movie. And a lot of it is going to focus, at least the first half is going to focus on Peter being persecuted by J. Jonah Jameson and the authorities. And so I went in kind of thinking this movie might not really be for me, but luckily pretty much all my fears were groundless. (laughs) I really liked this movie a lot. Like um, the the as I'm sure we'll get into the the Doctor Strange segments do not take over the whole movie. He is kind of there to sort of set things in motion with Peter. But then he kind of fades into the background. This is Spider-Man's story from beginning to end. And like the 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 stuff about, you know, him dealing with the authorities and the fallout with Mysterio actually like sort of also faded into the background surprisingly fast, I thought. I, I Yeah, I liked how this movie kind of just moves along at a really good pace, gives you all that fan service stuff that you want, and even, like, little, like, smaller spoilers besides, like, the other Spider-Men that I thought were going to happen did happen. This is definitely a crowd-pleasing movie. I, I saw this in a theater packed i i don't think there was anybody over 40 in that theater and and, and mo- most of the people yep. in fact yeah my theater it was mostly 20s and under i'm pretty sure that at wow 
you know, at 33, I may have been one of the oldest people there. (laughs) But the the crowd was nuts for this movie. It was a great theater experience. All of those moments that were fan service moments from, you know, referencing all of the live action Spider-Man history. They worked perfectly with the crowd I saw it with. This was definitely a see it in theaters experience and one that I'm going to remember, I think, for quite a while. Like some of the MCU movies for me have kind of been see it and forget it. But I think this one surprised me and it'll stay with me for a long time. Yeah, I agree with what you guys, uh, basically everything you guys said, you know, and the same observations in a lot of cases, you know, uh, here in PA, like, so this is a universal sort of thing. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I don't want to get ahead of it here, Father, and I might have missed this detail if you had anything specifically about, like, any of, of, like, the discussion about, like, our background with the different Spider-Man series or anything, or if I should mention some of that now, or... Go for it now. If that's okay. We're kind of merging all of that. Yeah, yeah, because, so basically, yeah, I mean, it's it's similar to, I think, a lot of people's sort of uh, experience, so I'm, uh, you said, Thomas, you're, so you're 33, yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I just turned 38. And so I, I have a lot of just rich memories of, um, the, just a few weeks before my senior year of high school, uh, it was August, 2001. And I remember being at some movie, I forget what the movie was I was seeing at the time, but you know, this heist movie trailer starts and it's a bank robbery and I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, bank robbery, seen that before. And, you know, the guys are escaping in the helicopter and all of a sudden the helicopter starts shaking and jostling and you're like, what's going on? And the camera just yanks back and pulls back and pulls back. And you see that the uh, helicopter is stuck in a giant spider web, but uh, right about halfway up the world trade center towers. And and I know I think you guys remember that, too. Of course, a lot of people do. You can get it on YouTube now, I'm sure, and find it. But they, of course, pulled that pretty quickly just for, for taste, you know, after the 9-11 attacks. And, um, you know, that isn't in the original film then and everything. But I still remember that being my senior year and having this this all the craziness that was going on. And also all the the just even if that wasn't going on, all the life changing things of graduating high school. And so I'm, I'm that's where I'm at in life. And it comes out that summer. Um, and it was just such a wonderful, the Tobey Maguire original, you know, Spider-Man movie. Um, I, I just, I loved it. We had so much fun. I've so, I have fond memories of then seeing the sequel a few years later. So for me, it was, it really brings back this nostalgia of a time of my life where, you know, you'd see your friends over the summer and go to this big blockbuster. And this is of course, before the MCU days. So like, these are the superhero movies and, and, uh, um, you know, around the same time the the Christian Bale Batman movies started coming out too. So right after that, but so I, I loved all of them. I, I remember sitting in the theater and laughing so hard with that ridiculous, like Tobey Maguire dance segment, the jazz club, like all that <laughs> stuff. That's like corny. Now I love seeing bully Maguire all over YouTube. I frequently send the secrets of Star Wars friends. <laughs> I send secrets of Star Wars friends. It's so terrible. I send you guys, you know, Bully McGuire <laughs> stuff that relates to Star Wars on a regular basis. But, uh, but at any rate, I, I love those ones. Then the Andrew Garfield ones, I, I love those as well. It wasn't quite the same time of my life as far as that experience of seeing it with friends that, that much. Um, but I, I love those ones too. I thought it was a neat, different take on it. Uh, full disclosure, I'm not like a really read up um, 
you know, well-educated Spider-Man fan as far as comics and the whole heritage of it. I kind of, you know, follow it up on, on the fly in terms of if I need to go look somebody up, like, who's Adrian Toomes? Like, okay, yeah. A vulture, okay, all right, you know, <laughs> you see like, oh, this character's, you know, 50, 60 years old or 40 years old, you know, so, um, so I, I've kind of got caught up on the characters as they're introduced, if I didn't know who they were, um, but then, yeah, as soon as they threw Tom Holland, like a stick of dynamite, right, into just, I mean, I, for his very first appearance in Captain America Civil War, I think that's, that's where they introduced him, right? Yep, yep. At the airport, yeah. basically. I remember thinking back then, I was like, God, who is this kid like this kid? Like, how do you go into this this setting, especially at that age him being pretty young, a, a good chunk of his youth watching MCU movies? And he completely steals that scene like he absolutely steals that airport fight scene. And and it's not in a showy way. It's just it's absolutely organic. And I I, I do think that by, you know, at least the the first standalone movie he was in, he was at least tied as my favorite Spider-Man, you know, if if not an outright, you know, superstar with it. And so by the time you get to this one, everything you guys said, the last thing I'll say is just that it's it's I don't know. I still don't know how he does it. I don't know that, that you then have him with his heroes <laughs> in this movie as themselves, not some lame cameo like Tobey Maguire's a cab driver or something like that. It's like he's <laughs> there. He is. And not only does it, it's not forced that he's like the chief Spider-Man, Peter one, right? <laughs> you know, like it's like, they clearly love like the characters and the actors themselves love that. Like you can just tell that, that Toby and, and Andrew, like were so thrilled to, to be able to be with him in this Spider-Man movie. I just thought that was, yeah, so I, I loved it, and there's a lot of fun stuff to for us to unpack, for sure. Yeah, I would, I mean, pretty much echo everything that you guys were saying. Um, I think it, I think it was a phenomenal movie, um, and I've seen it quite a few times already, anyway, because of that fact. And, Mike, it's funny that you talk about the Tobey Maguire's just kind of, um, I, w- I wouldn't say your Spider-Man, but they kind of hit you at a point in your life when it was really impactful. And for me, I'm 32, so I'm probably the youngest on this panel. And um, for me, the Tobey Maguire's were, we saw them on TV every now and again, and like they were, they were kind of fun, but I wasn't really drawn into them. And the Andrew Garfield ones hit me at a time that were just, um, I was, <laughs> in fact, it was a summer between my minor seminary and major seminary years. I was doing a couple summer classes. I was kind of, at this really tiny parish because I had to do these summer classes. So I didn't, the, I wasn't going to be in a big parish with a lot going on. So I could focus on, on the summer classes. And like, I was feeling a little bit lonely cause it was, I was out there kind of just with the pastor and the pastor is um, in fact, he's almost at retirement age now. So, I mean, he's, you know, there, there was a age gap there. And like, so I was feeling a little bit lonely and then I go and see this movie, the amazing Spider-Man. And the themes in that movie really resonated with me and the whole idea of, you know, uh, Dr. Kurt Connors trying to build a world without weakness. And, you know, in, in seminary, you're you're very clearly you're not trying to build a world without weakness, but you're looking at the weaknesses that you have in your own life and you're trying to deal with them and you're trying to grow and you're trying to, you know, so there was like this weird parallel. And so in that summer, like so I, you know, clearly the way that Dr. Kurt Connors goes about trying to get rid of weakness is the wrong way. and. 
you know, and so I identified then with Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker. And, and so there was this real strong uh, <laughs> kind of bond there, if you will. And then, um, and then for me, then the amazing, the amazing Spider-Man two came out and um, yeah, there was a lot going on in that movie, but I was all for the, the potential for the sinister six and the, the movies that they were planning to come after that. And then of course that all just kind of wow. got knocked down because it didn't do so well. Right. Um, and then no way home comes out. And this felt like a, a proper way to kind of bridge the gap um, between Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker, even Tobey Maguire's. There, there's all sorts of emotional resonance that happens with with both of their characters. And then, of course, with Tom Holland's. So, like, <laughs> for me to sit in that theater and to have tempered my expectations because I went into it assuming and I just made the assumption and chose to make the assumption that this is just going to pull in villains from the old movies, but not Toby and Andrew. And, and I did that because I didn't want to go into the movie expecting Toby and Andrew and then be disappointed if they didn't show up. I did the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Better safe than sorry. (laughs) I would have been, I would have been disappointed. Yeah, if they weren't there because I, that, by, yeah. by that point, <laughs> and Andrew Garfield's a bad liar. So I, I, I didn't, <laughs> well, that's whatever true. whatever he said in interviews was like, yeah, no. I no, I no. I feel like there was enough doubt that it was it was okay for me to say, yeah, I'm gonna just not hope for this. So then when it happened in the movie theater, like, yeah, like to go in a pack well, that's theater the healthier when, option. Yeah. You, 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 what you did was much better. <laughs> <laughs> and like the, 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 the theater exploded in cheers, you know? And like, yes. and, oh and I was gosh. one of those. Yeah. My crowd went nuts when Andrew showed yeah. up. Crazy. Yeah. Just standing up and yeah, it was nuts. Popcorn. <laughs> it was, yeah. The, uh, yeah, there was a lot of that in my theater. <laughs> It was also funny and, and, and we're going to kind of blend into this, but, um, when, uh, when Charlie Cox shows up, like the guy next to me, like couldn't at all sit still in his chair. And I, <laughs> at, I, I hadn't seen any of daredevil at that point. And so I was sort of like, okay, I don't know what the big deal oh, is about man. this guy. That scene was exactly what I wanted it to be. In, in fact, it almost opened the exact way I imagined it would, which was kind of focusing on his 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 uh, his walking kick, uh, stick, his cane, mm-hmm. and then panning up to him. I was like, that's exactly how I imagined in my mind how that scene would open with him there. And it, it was just brilliant. I, I loved it because I was like, they, they have to do this. If, if Peter is going to be in trouble with the law, Matt Murdock needs to be his lawyer. There is no other option. <laughs> like, it's not going to be like Thor, you know, who's just bored and <laughs> you know, Loki, Loki, Loki would be the one Loki. who would. Uh, yeah. uh, Mike and Andrew, are you guys Daredevil fans at all? Huge, huge Daredevil well, fan. You yeah. know, it's funny. I, I, I might. <laughs> So speaking of that era, I was just speaking of, I always enjoyed the, the one that came out years ago. That was my first introduction to the character. I, you know, I, that wasn't a repeat viewing one, uh, you know, for me per se, but I, I enjoyed it. Um, and I haven't seen it in years. And so I, I saw that there was a Daredevil series coming out. I think it's around the time we were getting married and stuff. And I just it never really ended up on my my radar. And so, like, I've I've been aware of it and I knew that Charlie Cox was in it. 
Um, and I recognized him oddly enough from a, um, a great Jose Maria Escriva movie that came out years ago called There Be Dragons, where he plays St. Jose Maria as a young priest. And so I, that's about all I knew. You know, I knew he was in it. And so it, it was good because I, I knew enough to know who the character is so that then when they showed up, I was genuinely that was probably the biggest surprise for me watching this movie. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> I was like, that's cool. And, and of course, we were watching Hawkeye. So we had just seen that week, you know, the introduction of um, Vincent D'Onofrio as, as Kingpin, who I was a little more familiar that that resonated with me more. I was like, oh, I think that was the Michael Clark Duncan bad guy. Right. And I'm looking it up. And so um, so I had just been researching that a little bit you know on youtube and stuff for a few days so uh good timing right <laughs> it's oh, like, man, with why, release yeah. dates and stuff like geez if you have gotta watched be daredevil yeah you gotta watch daredevil i'm gonna I go mean, back it, and check it out one of the biggest crimes uh is is ha- having to add cancel uh daredevil after season three because in my opinion and, and a lot of people's opinion that was their best season and it, it kind of set itself up for like a great story going forward but you know with the whole like yeah at that time marvel tv and marvel films were kind of separate and then disney plus was about to come out so they were moving all their stuff out of netflix and all that so it kind of was a consequence of that got lost in the mix i guess or yeah right yeah it was just unfortunate but uh I, i knew it was only a matter of time because the the character was so popular especially charlie cox and Visit D'Onofrio specifically. I don't think you could recast those guys. And obviously Marvel was aware of that. So I'm glad that we're going to see more of these characters uh, down the line. And didn't even Kevin, didn't Kevin Feige say at one point, like he didn't like affirm any of it, but, but he, he said to made some reference to like, you know, Charlie Cox is the MCU's, you know, I, I um, think he said he did, he did something like that. It was he did he did confirm that before the movie came out. Yeah, but yeah he didn't confirm that but he was in Spider Man. Right, 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 yeah, right, right. He was like, well, if was, if Daredevil is going to be in the MCU, it's right. Charlie Cox, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What was cool for me is that I I started reading the comics, the Marvel comics in the early two thousands when they had relaunched with their Ultimate branding of comics is called uh, Marvel Ultimate or Ultimate Marvel. And there were a few story arcs that I read in the Spider-Man comics at that time where Spider-Man actually teamed up with Daredevil. And I was a big fan of those issues. So to finally see the two characters on screen in live action was a real treat for me. I liked that a lot. Well, I just loved how that scene went. Yeah. That was just such a cool, because <laughs> even if you didn't know who Daredevil is, like that gives you this little like, oh, you know, let's pay attention to this guy because he, he might be a superhero. So I thought that was well done. He's a really like, good lawyer. Whom everyone knows. Yeah. Really <laughs> good. Um, oh, my gosh. So and, and, and maybe this is a question for you guys. I, I did after watching No Way Home go back and watch. Um, I watched the pilot for Daredevil um, and it didn't quite grip me as I thought it might. And is it is it one of those that I need to give it some more time or. Because it was a bit, shall I say, it was a bit grittier than what my normal flair of superhero movies and TV shows is. It was it's a bit definitely oh, not. Yeah. It's definitely not MCU-ified, so right. to speak. There, there it's are definitely some, gritty. Yeah, there are but, some uh, subtle like, references to the rest of the MCU throughout, yeah. but tonally, it's very different. Okay. Yeah. So I, I might, I might, yeah. I might give it a give it another chance, but it was it was far darker than I was expecting. And so it, 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 
kind of stalled my <laughs> desire to keep going, even though I'm um, intrigued by the character for sure. But um, well, yeah, obviously the, the, the themes of, you know, behind the character and the fact that he's a Catholic and is trying to be a devout Catholic while, you know, being a, you know, a crime fighter, uh, vi- mass vigilante um, plays an important part uh, of the show. And, and they highlight it, I think, very well, uh, especially for a, you know, a highly produced Marvel, you know, Disney property. So, um, yeah, I think I think, you know, just stick with it. You, I, I, it is violence, but, you know, it's it's entertaining. It's so entertaining. Yeah. So um, to kind of, I guess, shift into the to the plot a little bit. Um, I think one of the other things that I really, really, really liked about No Way Home was how how relatable it it feels, even though it's this whimsical multiversal kind of story. Um, the the way that it grounds itself in in Peter and his struggles um, felt felt very relatable to me, and 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 perhaps in a in a way that I wasn't really expecting, and. Um, and so like like I was talking about with the amazing Spider-Man and my connection to that like this movie there was all sorts of things that I was like immediately connecting to where you know you've got the the just the whole idea of uh, the the J Jonah Jameson fake news kind of thing happening and and painting Peter Parker as this villain and you know um I, that that's been a, a reality of of fake news in in our world today and um you know and and even the you know the Catholic church has been, you know, on the, the receiving end of some of that kind of things. And so for, for Peter to kind of have to go through some of that and then, and then just their, their normal, their, their current challenges to, to apply to MIT, you know, and, and to get in. And I'm going to share this uh, with you guys because it's not private yet, or it's not, it's not anyways, I'm applying for Canon law. So like, like I'm applying to CUA at the moment. (laughs) So, uh, so like even, even just that whole notion of like, and I'm not really worried about being accepted or not. Like, okay, the Bishop is, is, is clearly gonna, you know, say the magic words and I'm going to get accepted, you know, but like to, to be, to be on that receiving end of like, I'm currently finishing my application and then I'm going to send it off and like have to wait for the app or the, the response letter. Um, again, like there's all these things that I'm relating to, like, oh my gosh, I've been there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. So, um, and I guess that, y- oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that, uh, reinterpretation of J Jonah Jameson as a kind of <laughs> online conspiracy was monger so funny. was genius. It really was. Be- because like. You know, originally in in the comics, he was a newspaper editor and newspapers really aren't as relevant anymore. So how do you make this character relevant? And it's like you make him this kind of online shock jock conspiracy guy. I I just thought that that was handled brilliantly. It's the perfect way to keep the essence of that character, but still modernize him and make him more relevant to audiences. I really did you notice how his how how radically different his his setup kept getting yeah and he was even promoting those supplements like they do yeah, on right, cable yeah, so news. 
which that made me laugh that's brilliant well and supposedly (laughs) i never uh i never saw this because i'm not on tiktok but apparently the dailybugle.net created a tiktok account yes up to the release of the movie in theaters that's funny all yeah, viral yeah, marketing. Gosh. Yeah. So there, <laughs> there was there was some pretty genius stuff happening. <laughs> so um yeah, and I mean definitely the same character. Uh you know, he still had the mustache too and, and not not as much head hair, but yeah, totally uh totally J. Jonah Jameson. Well, I was thinking because J.K. Simmons hasn't, as far as I know, was, I don't know that he's appeared in commercials or any spin-off stuff or any spoofs on it, but I mean you figure there's a role that yeah, he hasn't played in when was the last one? Oh, seven, I guess, with with Toby. So, you know, there's a good, you know, 15, 16 years. Almost, you know, there's just this like long time, you know, 14, 15 years, I guess. Um, and it's like just jumps right back in it. It was so fun. <laughs> yeah. Another guy that you just can't recast. Like no, when, when you think no. of that character, even no, if you read no. like if, if you read comics now and, and that character shows up, like I hear. JK said his voice. (laughs) But I think that that's one of the reasons why this movie works so well. And, and because you have the characters of J Jonah, J Jonah Jameson, who's, you know, uh, the actor reprises his role, but then you've got all the, the villains that, that come in fairly quickly and Toby and Andrew and, and you have 20 years of fans who are responding to this movie. And all of us have our own, you know, connections to the, to the different movies that came before. But, you know, we, we've mentioned before that this is fan service done well. You know, they didn't just bring him in to be a cameo or any of these others just to be cameos, but they all play a role and their characters are honored in a way that we find appropriate and satisfying. And we're totally on board with it. Which is which is really awesome to to see play out in a in a movie like this. Um, so speaking of that, the whole reason that that does happen is because we do have the team up, but not really a team up at all with Doctor Strange. And and I think that bringing in Doctor Strange to do this was well, <laughs> I don't think I could have come up with a better plot way to to open up the multiverse. So what do you guys think of Doctor Strange and his role uh, in this movie? Um, I, th- I think, like you said, I, I think it was a perfect match, um, especially to bring about the whole multiverse and and thinking about where Doctor Strange himself as a character is. Um, it, it really fit well. You know, he he's not the Sorcerer Supreme. And he kind of has like this ongoing thing with Wong, you know, he, he's kind of like buttered <laughs> that was about such it, a right? great throwaway line. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Uh, and, and so he's so so he finds this opportunity with with Peter, who he has obviously has a history with, um, you know, they were both dusted for five years and they both came back. They both had to fight Thanos. Um, they both had to suffer the loss of, you know, Tony Stark. Um, and, uh, he finds this opportunity to, to feel, to find purpose again. He's like, I can help my friend out, you know, who's going through a hard time. Uh, you know, now that like the time, the time stone is gone and I'm no longer the Sorcerer Supreme. So it kind of fit well. Um, because I think Dr. Strange as Sorcerer Supreme would have been like Wong and be like, no, that's, you know, when we first meet Dr. Strange, uh, in, in his in his first film, 
um, when he first becomes the quote unquote sorcerer supreme or, or Doctor Strange, um, he he's quite conservative, you know, and he doesn't take risks uh, with with spells and magic and all that, and he's just worried about protecting the fabric of reality, right? That's his whole point of uh, the whole point of his uh, existence now. Um, but I, I felt like they found they found a good like through line and a good plot device for him and Peter to to match up. Um, and I like how Peter just looking at a, a Halloween decoration of a yeah what, what was it a yeah, witch or that something was great. Uh, that yeah. reminded him of, of Doctor Strange. So um, well, yeah, that? I, I thought that actually was a little like a little light of him. What was it? Or, or that's what it looked like. I don't know, but it kind of looked like a vampire. Was a vampire? Yeah, okay. Think, think yeah. You're right. oh, okay. Yeah. But it doesn't. It had it a goatee. Like it had a goatee. Yeah, Sorry, I was a vampire. So I think it. that's what reminded him of it. I wasn't thinking of that. Um, cool. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I, uh, I totally <laughs> bought like how everything happened and and how Doctor Strange was brought in and and all that. So I, I thought it worked very well. Yeah, definitely. I, I thought that uh, it it reminded me of the way they do it in comic books sometimes, where you have like a book where. There's one character who's like the main star, like like say it's a Spider-Man book and say Spider-Man has some problem that he needs to solve. Well, there will be an issue where he meets up with Iron Man or with Doctor Strange or whoever it is. And there'll be a little side plot with that character, but then it will just kind of seamlessly blend back in to Spider-Man's story. Like they never have another character come in and take over the other character's book for no reason, which is what I feared was going to happen with this movie. But no, it, it. it it works brilliantly like doctor strange like he he's 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 there to sort of initiate the plot and sort of um give peter you know things to oh, i'm kind of losing my train of thought but yeah he he's he's there for a perfect amount of time he doesn't overstay his welcome they they actually kind of make a joke of that later right where he's like yeah. i was stuck in the grand canyon for 12 <laughs> hours or whatever it was that yeah. was that was brilliant. And and Benedict Cumberbatch does a great job, as always. I think that they use this as a great opportunity to set up his upcoming sequel, where he's going to be dealing more with the multiverse and stuff like that. So I think this was a, definitely a great way of preparing audiences for that and what we may come to expect in the future. But yeah, I think it was handled just right. They did a great job. Yeah. And, and just add one more thing. Uh you know, originally, uh, Multiverse of Madness was supposed to come out before No Way Home. So, yeah. So, be- and, you know, because of the pandemic and, and scheduling conflicts, they, there was no way Multiverse of Madness was going to come out in time. And Sony had wanted to make the date. So they rewrote a lot of uh, Doctor Strange's story within the film. Um, a lot of it, from what I've read, is was kept pretty much the same as far as like the essential, his essential role. But yeah, there were some key things that obviously there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens in Multiverse of Madness. Uh, there are key things they had to leave out or change in order to uh, to fit the end. Vice versa, they had to re- do some rewrites for uh, Multiverse of Madness. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how 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 it plays out after that film comes in. So, but yeah, I just want to add that. I'm kind of glad that this was the first multiverse film, though. I mean, because it was sort of a I mean, if if the multiverse of Mattis happened first, I don't know, maybe the multiverse would have been a more 
um, household name by No Way Home, but the fact that it's sort of this complete unknown ident or unknown thing in No Way Home adds to just the whole kind of mystery of what's going on, and 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 I it felt it felt very cool and mysterious, appropriately yeah. mysterious. And they introduced the um, a little bit, you know, of introduction with it in um, Loki, you know, certainly by by the end, but but not in such a way that it it took anything away from these either. So I, I, I felt like it, it's really kind of dovetailed all of them nicely. Um, and, and even in uh, uh, the what if series, which, you know, I, I enjoyed that, but you know, like that's one series where I, now I am glad I watched it. At least some of them, because there, there was at least one very important reference in the trailer for multiverse of madness that they had at the end of this movie that I got because I had watched what if, um, but, um, yeah, so that's, they are introducing it in a few ways. Yeah. I was going to say it was kind of a nice payoff to have seen all of what if, and then go into this movie and they're just talking about the multiverse. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I've seen that. I know right. what that is. That's really cool. <laughs> I get to see it in live action now. That's awesome. Yeah. It's always funny because I, I go like, I went to see no way home with my dad and, and I think my dad like really appreciates that. I know all of this stuff. Because he has not a clue and I'm like, oh, that that's so and so or or that <laughs> that was the the, <laughs> the evil, you know, evil Doctor Strange. Or I forget I forget what his name is in, in, you know, in the what if series. But I was like, and here's why that matters. And so, like, after the movie, like, I'm telling him all these things and we um, save him like 45 minutes here, 28 minutes there. <laughs> like, right. It's like, that's good. That's all I needed to know. <laughs> cool. Oh, so, yeah, I, uh, I yeah, I, I think that that this was this was uh, a heck of a lot of fun for sure. Um, so to to kind of then jump in, of course, to what what comes next is the villains. Um, did you what do you guys think of the villains that they brought back? Do you think that um, there were others that you wanted and didn't get? Or was this the appropriate ones that that came in? And um, I thought it was a lot of I fun was, the way that they brought I was these really, ones really. In. I was thrilled with all of them. I, I thought the the way they did it was was brilliant. I thought the order was good. I because I, I, I don't know. Alfred Molina I just. I, I he's the one I wanted to see the most and Willem Dafoe, like who doesn't want to see more Willem Dafoe? But I, I like some of the behind the scenes stuff where they pointed out how, you know, there had been some disagreements in the original uh, movie with him about how often he has the helmet on. And that conflicting a little bit with his acting and stuff. And so I thought it was interesting that there were things that they sort of lessons learned or that they took, you know, apparently some of the feedback from these guys who were coming back, you know, to reprise these roles seriously, uh, even that they I like Jamie Foxx said in that one interview they had with the three of them sitting there. And he said that you know, he was excited because they also told him he didn't have to be blue. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I loved how they just explained it because it's like. Oh, this is the Stark universe. So like <laughs> electricity's different here. It was like, oh hey, I'm cool with that. That's fine, you know. But um but the one thing that did confuse me just a little bit, and I know there was a, some questions about this online, and I didn't really see if there was any resolution, because isn't the whole like premise here that people who know that Peter Parker is Spider Man are drawn into this this rift? But I I don't think Electro didn't know, did he? Like, I don't think he specifically knew, did he? That, that Peter he, was Spider-Man? He did not have, because 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 uh, he does mention he's like, oh, I thought you were you would have been black. Right. Like, like, even in the movie, you mentioned that. So yeah. I thought that was, I don't know if that was a little plot hole or what, because everybody else did for different reasons. But that was a little it's it's magic. 
Just and the just pitch, the pitch <laughs> meeting guy, the pitch meeting guy made fun of it, which I thought was funny because he's like, "Did did Electro know that Peter Parker is Spider Man?" He's like, "Huh? Oh, whoops!" And they just move on. So you know, he may, so it, he, it may have, he may have known the name. Uh, oh, okay, but not that could I'm, be, told, okay. I'm totally guessing, but that, that works might for be me. the yeah, that might be the and plot. It really you know, wasn't. Solution. It wasn't on my mind until the end, really, when he was asked or they were talking about that, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, yeah." So, but no, I, I thought they were great. I, I was so happy that they got them all back. You know, and you didn't have any, you know, money fights or like some, you know, or thank God, you know, no, none of them had passed away or anything like that. So it was just a wonderful, wonderful to see. And what they did with it, which we'll get into, of course, I knew that they were coming back or that some of them would, but I, it was, I was so blown away with why and what the, like where it went, like what the what Peter's mission ends up becoming. Cause I never really saw that coming. And I thought what a neat and different, you know, kind of way to approach this. Yeah. Th- those were the right villains. I mean, at least the, when you talk Doc Ock and Norman Osborn, those are the three at the, at the forefront, uh, the, the two at the forefront, um, Doc Ock, you know, from Spider-Man two, that's like arguably most people's favorite, uh, Spider-Man movie. and and He's one of the best villains, and Willem Dafoe obviously iconic as uh, Green Goblin. So it just made sense. And then two phenomenal actors playing them, you know. And I'm glad that you know with Jamie Fox, and then even to a very lesser extent, you have uh, Sandman and uh, a Lizard. Uh, their characters. I mean, I don't think they spent a day on set. Uh, if you watch the, the the film, they're they're Sandman is always Sandman, and Lizard is always Lizard. Uh, they they never transform to their human selves until the the very end of the film, and I think even then they might have used old footage. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm glad that they focused on those two, and because there was so much going on in this film, um, uh, and that they're they are so much the emotional core. And, and I think what, what makes it work, too, is that we didn't have to see Doc Ock's redemption again. Like, he kind of gets redeemed pretty quickly. It's like, okay, thank you. Like, just have to fix the chip, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. Like, we don't have to go around. Whoops. There goes my mic. We don't have to go around in circles. <laughs> you know, like, okay, well, let's wait until he fixes his darn chip. Uh, I'm glad because Doc Ock, was, where we leave him, was very you know, we had a lot of empathy for him and, and, and he sacrificed himself to, you know, to, to say, you know, to save the city. So I'm glad that they handled it that way. Um, and I'm glad that that allowed Green Goblin and Willem Dafoe to kind of be the main villain, uh, the main nemesis who has always been Spider-Man's main nemesis. Um, so I, I'm glad that, uh, they did it in that manner. So it didn't get too convoluted and, and, and become like the problems that Spider-Man three had and amazing Spider-Man two had. Uh, so again, learning from probably, you know, from previous mistakes and uh, yeah, I thought it was a perfect lineup. Um, yeah. I would have liked to see uh, maybe Tom Hardy's venom in there, but oh, that would not have made sense. So it was probably better that he was out. I just, I just like Tom Hardy <laughs> and how he plays that character. Oh, it was nice seeing him in the post credits, though. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. He would have been there just had he not had so much to drink and got <laughs> out of Mexico. Right. And so many questions. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think that they did a brilliant job of of 
timing with the villains um, because like there were, there were five key villains, but not, none of them seemed to dominate the time and, and none of them you felt like we, you were spending too much time with, with one, one or the other. And there, I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of characters in this movie. You know, and they and and this is still, you know, basically the first act of the movie, and we're we're starting to bring these in, and they've they've got more coming. So, you know, it was it was very uh, appropriate, I think, to kind of make the Sandman and and the Lizard to kind of take the back seat, but still be still be present, and then yeah, let the other three kind of be the more um, vocal and um, to be the the ones more in the spotlight. Yeah, I was worried the movie would feel crowded, but. It didn't really. I, I I felt that they juggled it pretty well. I, I was a little disappointed on, on the visual side of things that they don't seem to have improved the lizard effects at all <laughs> since the Amazing Spider-Man. He still looked like garbage, and that kind of disappointed me because the MCU is usually so, takes so much care with its visual effects, and may, may, maybe it was an intentional choice. Maybe they're like, nah, we're... We'll, we'll we'll keep him as kind of an homage, make him look kind of goofy and you know ridiculous. But I, I think they they spent all the money in de aging, uh, you know, Alfred Molina uh, and, <laughs> and, and for that final battle sequence. Yeah, and I and I I didn't really mind because, um, like I've already implied, like the Amazing Spider Man was one of my still one of my top favorite Spider-Man movies. And so I, I appreciated Kurt Connors being kind of as he, as I remember him. So, um, so, so yeah, to kind of shift gears slightly, uh, I think one of the, the hearts of this movie is, um, kind of that whole second act of the movie, if you will, um, of Aunt May's, they call it Aunt May's holy moral mission, but it's but it's more than that. It's not just her mission. I mean, that kind of a mission of of saving people, you know, is is definitely way more universal than just Aunt May's kind of mission. But that's that's how, you know, the Green Goblin kind of points it out to to Peter. Um, And yeah, Mike, Mike, like you, I I remember the first time watching the movie sort of kept subconsciously wanting Dr. Strange to just push the button and make everybody go back because that's, that's what you're supposed to do. They're in the wrong place. You got to get them back. And, and if you let them out, they're just going to wreak havoc. And so you need to get them back. And so to have Peter, you know, be, be on board with, with wanting to redeem the villains um, makes perfect sense, but it wasn't what I was expecting. And so I thought it was it was a very good place that they that they took uh, took these took these villains, but also took Peter because that's at the heart of, of who Peter is, is he's he, he he just wants to help people. He's not you know, he's not trying to to get people hurt or, um, you know, even to, to kill the villains. I mean, that's that's not that's not who Peter is. And so it was really, really cool to kind of see that theme of um, saving the villains. Uh, which is which is very Christian in in nature too. I mean the the whole idea, and I think Thomas, you you actually I think wrote about this in one of your articles. The whole idea of of you know this is a way of of loving your enemies. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I was. It's funny because I, I think like you, Father. At first, I was a little put off by it when they're like, oh, you know, like I'm like, no, these guys are going to get out and they're going to cause more damage and people are going to die. And but the the more I thought about it after the movie, I'm like, this is like 
you know, pure gospel stuff here, you know, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you. you. You know what it reminded me of? The parable of the lost sheep. Right. Because especially when when Christ says to the disciples after finishing the parable, the son of man has come to seek and save that what was lost. And you have these supervillains who are kind of lost in their own darkness, their own sin, their own madness and physical mutations. And you have Peter going in to try and seek them out to, to, to go where they are and save them makes him, you know, a, a Christ figure in this movie and, you know, to, to seek out even the and to extend mercy to people who, from our point of view, don't really deserve it, like the Green Goblin or who are just going to take his mercy and throw it back in his face, you know. But I, I just thought it was it, it was such a powerful message and so different from like what you see in some other superhero movies where it's like, punch bad guy movie over you know like i i just thought it was it was it was it was different and it was and just the fact that i saw that theater with a huge crowd of young people i i i said in one of the articles i wrote about this movie that it i just felt that it it it's kind of that seed of the gospel and movies like this that 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 and i i know the writers probably don't intend this it's probably subconscious but movies like this are kind of priming the imaginations of young people to have an encounter maybe later in life with Christ and with his gospel and with his church. And I just think that that's so important because I see so many people dismiss these movies. You know, every time an MCU movie comes out, some award winning director or highbrow critic is like, these movies are trash. You know, they're a waste of time. They're not even film. And I'm like, no, no. They're connecting so much with the younger generation that it's important that we discuss them like we're doing right now. It's important to pull out these themes and messages here because, you know, they, they are connecting. An entire generation has grown up with the MCU. And I really think that that some people are, are missing an opportunity to kind of to like what we're doing, try to find what is grabbing people about these movies. You hear that, Martin Scorsese? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and, and I've heard it said that I mean any great story is going to have elements of Christ's story in it. You know, and that's regardless of whether you're writing, you know, superhero fiction or fantasy or or Star Wars or or you know, it doesn't matter what genre you're writing, but any truly good story is going to have those elements of redemption, of forgiveness, of, you know, that self-sacrifice, you know, and, and I think, yeah, uh, Peter Parker in this movie, I mean, he exemplifies that and, and he's, but he's also real too, you know, he's not, he's not just without flaws or without his own vulnerabilities, you know, and, and we even see that later on in the film when he is sorely tempted to kill the Green Goblin. And it has to be stopped by by Toby Maguire's uh, Peter Parker, you know. But so like Peter Parker is is not just he's not just kind of a Christ figure, but he's he's a relatable Christ figure because we've all we all can be we can all put ourselves in his shoes and and know what that struggle is like to some degree or another, because we've all 
you know, I mean, and that's one of the great things about just storytelling in general is, is that's often how we learn how to deal with kind of the, the challenges and struggles of this world. Even though we frame it in a superhero, superhero genre, it's still we're playing out well, what happens when you have someone who, you know, has killed your aunt and you want revenge. Is that the right option to, to take? You know, and so we see that played out in, in a very, um, in fact, in, in this movie, uh, in a very, very good way. And I'm going to save some of that conversation, I think, for uh, later on when it becomes uh, more and more prominent. But um, to kind of, I guess, focus just a little bit more here on um, just kind of the redemption or the the saving the villains part. Um, I also really liked the Green Goblin and and specifically the Green Goblin, as opposed to, um, you know, Norman Osborn, because the Green Goblin has that demon kind of quality the satanic the even i mean even his mask that he destroys kind of looks you know demonic to a certain degree and so he is the voice of the the enemy even to peter and so you know he's trying to fill peter's head with all the reasons why he shouldn't try to redeem the characters and i think at one point he even he tells peter that morality is his weakness and I and I really I like that because um, that is the voice of the enemy. And of course, uh, that's that's often what what even our world might kind of fall into is that, you know, we need to just kind of fall into relativism and kind of do whatever we think is right and ignore this sort of objective sort of uh, morality or or, you know, something beyond us. And of course, the, the, the Catholic take on that is that, you know, morality is definitely not a weakness. And, and in fact, a, an analogy that I use often when I'm, when I'm preaching about it or, um, you know, talking to people about it. Um, I like to use the analogy that, that, that the reason that God gave us, you know, um, reason and morality and right and wrong. And these aren't just kind of rules that we just, um, kind of made up and we have to just adhere to in order to be considered good people or good Christians. But rather, it's it's like a guardrail on a mountain road that prevents us from falling off the the mountain and dying, you know, essentially. So and and so if you follow morality, it's not meant to hinder. It's not meant to restrict your freedom, but it's meant to actually allow you to be free on that mountain road without fear of falling off and and dying. And that's a better way to kind of look at at freedom in that sense and not that not that morality is somehow limiting us, because ultimately, if we follow that to its conclusion, if we just kind of throw morality out the window, it ultimately will lead us to our own destruction. And that's the contrary of what what life is is really all about. Um, I don't know if you guys had any any thoughts or if I should. I, I agree. <laughs> well said. <laughs> I concur. That was that was perfect. Yeah, that that is essentially the the tragedy of the Green Goblin character and and so many other superhero villains, right? But uh, but yeah, in, in that first Spider Man movie, that's that's basically you know he didn't have those guardrails, um, and um, it's it's great to see that character have another chance at it and. Uh, to see it come full circle. Yep. Uh, what did you guys think of Aunt May being kind of the Uncle Ben character for this version of Peter Parker? And specifically because she's the one who, um, at this point in the movie, um, when all the villains have, 
um, after Doc Ock is cured, but all the others kind of decide to kind of go off and and we have the fight with with the Green Goblin uh, and the Green Goblin injures Aunt May greatly. Uh, she is she is the one who delivers the the famous line, you know, with great power, there must also also come great responsibility. And then, of course, her death is kind of that tragic moment in this Peter's life where Uncle Ben was that for Toby's and, and Andrew's versions of, of the character. Well, I haven't had a chance to go back and watch um, <clears throat> the, the, the previous Tom Holland ones, but uh, I do remember near the very beginning of, of actually, you know what? I'm wondering, it might've even been in, it was either in Captain America, civil war, you know, when, when Tony's over there first meeting him or the first Tom Holland one, I forget which, but she, you know, is, is giving him some sort of pep talk at one point and makes some passing reference to, you know, that they've been through a lot. And I just always assumed that that was a, a sort of a reference to Uncle Ben being tragically killed, which is always a feature of this. But it doesn't look like it because he doesn't like when they start talking about Uncle Ben and their multiverse doesn't seem like he has any recognition of, of that. So maybe she was. So I have to go back and look at me. That was just a, a general sort of like they've been through a lot because his parents died, I guess, or, and, or she's been raising him. So maybe it was a little more uh, direct with that. And yeah, I, think, uh, I think that was intentional. Yeah. Okay. I think you're, I think you're onto the right track. Yeah. I, it seemed like it, to sort of separate Tom Holland's Peter Parker and Garfield's and, uh, um, why am I blanking on his name? McGuire's. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that was a good distinction to have because I, I may obviously has, has been a crucial part, a crucial character, um, in three films. So, made more sense makes a lot of sense for her to be that uncle ben type figure and and you feel more of that emotional impact you know it's like how many times can you see uncle ben die how many times could you see you know batman's parents die in an alley right it's it's they were in a different universe and it's a different story it's definitely you know all these combo characters have different iterations and uh they all kind of you can it's it's basically a sandbox right you can do whatever you want with them and and there's no right or wrong way as long as you stay true to the the essential qualities of the character uh and and hit the the major beats um so i think having aunt may be be the one that that tragically passes away and to deliver that line uh gives it that that emotional weight and um that moment's sort of earned uh you know in the film uh and, and that causes you know, Tom Holland's Spider-Man to to act in a way throughout the rest of the film uh, that's uncharacteristic of him if that weren't if that wouldn't have happened. So, well, uh, especially I, at the end. I said, so, yeah, no, I, and I just I was thinking that it just it just makes me think, too, and this could be a whole other show. So I don't want to you know, open it too much, but but just in, in passing that to sing the praises of of. Uh, this movie uh, in in this scene in other ways as well, where I just think they really do such a masterful job of setting the stakes high uh, and and delivering on it and not being afraid to do that. Because as much as I love Star Wars, <laughs> you know, that's been a complaint with some of the sequel trilogy movies where it's like just when you thought that they might have been going somewhere with certain stakes being high, it's like, well, you know, like, oh, wow, they're going to 
no, three PO is going to lose his memory for 20 minutes and it's a gag. And then, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, like it's just, it's, it's like, you don't like, I didn't want to just like I said this. I wanted to say, yeah, I think I said this on, on, on our, sorry, I think I said it on our, um, Rise of Skywalker review, but again, it's, it's, I, I wouldn't say I want to see Lando, Chewie, and the Falcon blow up in a blaze of glory. It, it's not like that. I think maybe that should have happened. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's this idea, like, I feel like we tap into naturally, um, and I was just talking to my students today about some of this, talking about the Trinity and this, this idea of there's a meta narrative. You know, and, and we're we can't escape these echoes, I think, in our souls of like what constitutes a, a right story, which sometimes has tragedy in it. But that's not the end of the story. There's somehow more to it. Um, and when you just kind of like dance around that or, or have a quick gag, you know, like Aunt May gasps and wakes up, you know, like Tony falling down from the you know, <laughs> in Avengers. And it's like, what I miss, you know, like that's inappropriate for for her. Um, and we don't like to see this happen. Even the way that Marissa Tomei acted this scene out, I don't know how much of it was her idea or their idea. I was like, oh, not fair. Like, cause it's like, they're making you think this is what's going to happen, but then, then she's okay, you know? And sometimes in real tragedy and real things like that, someone thinks they're okay and then they're not, you know, that, that shock and the trauma. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, so that was, that was a pretty intense moment. You know, and, and everybody in the theater, like you guys know, you can feel like the air leave the room, you know, that that's that is somehow part of Peter's destiny is is to lose this guardian. You know, it, it's like it's it has to happen. And the way that that interaction on the rooftop, that conversation goes where that comes through to him from these other, you know, iterations of himself, however you want to call it, just really blew me away. It was so well done. It's almost like th- this whole MCU Spider-Man trilogy has been one long origin movie for the spider for the yeah. type of Spider-Man that we know from the previous Spider-Man live action movies and from the comic books. And so I I just felt that that was handled so well because I I think like like Andrew said even though it's Aunt May this time and not Uncle Ben they kept that core of the character they kept that with great power comes great responsibility, which is the heart of Spider-Man. So I just feel like, you know, regardless of the particulars, as long as that essence is there, you know, it it just nails it. I think that this was a great subversion of what we were expecting. Um, and, and principally because we saw Tom Holland's Peter Parker just show up and his first movie was not an origin story. And so the MCU made the decision that we're not going to retell the origin story. And so, you know, we all just kind of assume, well, okay, uncle Ben was killed and, and he was bitten by the spider and, and all that happened. Just, we haven't seen it with, with Tom Holland's Peter Parker when really, yeah, we've basically had a three movie origin story just minus the spider bite and whatever did happen to uncle Ben. And this, this movie or these, those three movies, are a really good origin story for what's coming next and the whole kind of reset that happens at the end. And, and I mean, we already know that they are in, there is a new, I I think it was a new trilogy already kind of in the works or being planned. And, and, you know, and I, I think Tom Holland is still contract. 
Oh, is that? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if he's contracted fully yet, but I mean, I think it was very clear that they were moving forward and I, and I can't remember if it was Kevin Feige or someone said essentially they weren't going to leave fans wondering what's happening. Like what happened between far from home and new no way home with the whole, you know, Sony Disney kind of standoff. So I, we, we do know that they are in, they are moving forward with more movies and I, and I'm pretty sure Tom Holland is going to do, you know, another trilogy and then probably hang up the Cape. Uh, but that'll be a, a great way to explore where his character goes from now because he because at the end of this movie he he has no connection to anybody, you know, no connection to to Tony Stark or to the Avengers or to I mean really anybody, and he's kind of reduced to his own wits and the you know the the friendly neighborhood Spider Man that uh, that 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 we've kind of that we know. And that's kind of what I think was missing from the other films that I know some people had 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 issues with is that he didn't feel like the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. It almost just felt like uh, Spider-Man via Stark Industries, you know, like Stark Industries Spider-Man. But like, I, I, I think it was necessary for the story that they clearly wanted to tell with these movies. And it, 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 cre- it it's such great payoff now to see that, ah, see, this is how he becomes the type of Spider-Man that we're more used right. to. I, for one, am glad he is not the new Iron Man, you know, yeah. like, it, oh, yeah, <laughs> it kind of makes sense because, you know, Stark was his mentor and, and, you know, he had kind of the technology and stuff, but, but, but yeah, clearly that's not Peter's destiny. And so it, it was, it was good to see that kind of you know, drop off and, and yeah, Peter, Peter has to kind of go, go his own way. I was just laughing real quick though. Do you guys think it was, a? I don't think it was intentional, but I had to laugh. Maybe a little bit of a, a funny dig at Martin Sheen's uncle Ben, who I love, but I was just laughing because it's like, there's this kind of back and forth, especially between Toby, you know, and, um, and Tom in that, that culminating kind of like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, you know, and then like Toby perks up and finishes the line, but I'm laughing because I'm looking at Andrew Garfield and I'm like, and he's standing there thinking, well, my uncle Ben said, your, your dad lived by a principle and <laughs> philosophy that if you have the ability to help someone and the opportunity, and it's like, you know, you get always like across the, the multiverse, uncle Ben, you know, back before he passes away, like. I probably could have said that in a little more like a pithy kind of, <laughs> so, you know, that was, that was good to actually have Aunt May like deliver that, you know, that was, that so, was good. So my, my headcanon on that is that, and I bet it's more than headcanon, but yeah, what, what, during that dialogue, Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker affirms that uncle Ben, his uncle Ben said it the day that he died, but there you go. just, it mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't on screen in, in the amazing spider. Right. Cause yeah, that, that phrase, is I mean, from what I gather, I, I haven't read any of the comics, but I think that that is like a absolute crucial element of, of Spider-Man's story. It's like a slogan kind of, right? right? You know, I mean, right. linked to him very clearly in any iteration of the character. So it's sort of there in, in Andrew Garfield's implicitly, just not explicitly. Um, one other thing that I was going to point about point out about Aunt May's uh, kind of uh, direction and morality is um, I, I thought it was interesting on on her tombstone at the end. Uh, the the quote that's that's engraved on her tombstone is, "When you help someone, you help everyone." And 
I did appreciate that comment because I think that that kind of that that summarizes her own her own kind of philosophy and morality because you know she was in charge of the um the 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 food food pantry or the the you know they they were helping um those those in need um you know but it, but it also just reminded me too of of just kind of you know who we are as human beings and solidarity and you know the the whole idea that that yeah I mean we are all connected you know and so when we when we help one another we are we are helping um, you know, and, and promoting, especially, uh, within the, you know, as the body of Christ, you know, when we're helping one another, it's, it's not just, it's not just a frivolous act or anything. It's actually genuine and, and can help, can help. No. Um, yeah. It, it's funny, Father Andrew, that serendipitously before we recorded, I, I've been reading a book by, uh, uh, Father Robert Spitzer called, uh, Finding True Happiness. And it's really an excellent book. And in, in the final, in one of the final chapters, he, he's, he says the following, uh, what we do to help a particular person has an effect on the body of Christ. And this in turn has an effect on the cosmic struggle between good and evil. And, and when I saw what, what you had put in our, our, our notes for this episode, yep. I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly <laughs> what we're going to talk about tonight. You know that, yeah, like, you know, Peter's choices, you know, have this cosmic significance and also an, an, an intimate significance, you know, with with his family and, and friends and whatnot. But, yeah, I, I, I totally think that that's true, that when when we, you know, when we start to think about what, you know, that our, our choices don't just affect the here and now, they send ripples throughout life that are going to affect people not just in this life but in the life hereafter that's mm-hmm. that's kind of mind-bending to think about yeah well and and i even point out to people too that like you know there there's a um oh and i'm going to totally not make my catholic moral theology professor proud here but because i'm forgetting the the terminology here but there's a transitive and a reflexive dimension of every action I, I think I'm getting those right. But the idea is that, that the transitive effect of our actions is what affects other people or other things. So like when I choose to do good or wrong, I'm affecting other people and, and you know, for good or for ill. But then there's also the reflective dimension. That means it affect how it affects me making the decision. So if I'm deciding to choose to to save the villains, to try to do good, to try to help those in need, I continually... And that that affects me and that it makes me a more generous person, a more loving person, a more caring, compassionate person, you know, versus if I choose to ignore that, it makes me a more selfish person or prideful person if I'm choosing that, um, as well as affecting for good or for ill the people around me. So, you know, the idea here is that um, even, you know, when, when you're helping someone, you're helping everyone, but you're also helping yourself grow into a better person and, and the person that, that God that God wants you to be, to be more loving, more charitable and, and, and the like. Well, that's, I, I try to distinguish with my students a lot, the difference between like when we talk about sin, you know, um, and I like to start off by telling them that like, no, I'll throw it in there sometimes that, that no sin is private. And I followed up pretty quickly because they're kind of like, well, what are you talking about? Like they immediately start thinking of a lot of sins that are private, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, and I immediately followed up by saying, no, they're personal meaning you as a person are making a decision to do a certain thing you shouldn't do. And everything we do like that somehow has this ripple effect 
in the whole of the human race. And we, we don't really think about that. We don't want that to be true, but it's true because we are fundamentally relational you know, beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you just kind of ask yourself, how, how do I act when nobody is around? And if I, if I choose in those moments of, of nobody around to act selfishly, then I become a more selfish person day by day. And then that does affect how I relate, relate to people in the future, you know, or vice versa. If I'm choosing to be um, generous, even with my, my time spent, you know, in, in solitude or, or, you know, that makes me just more more generous when i encounter people later on so yeah there is there is no such thing as a private sin and well and even like the analogy of like the church at, at the easter vigil right with all that how you see that beautiful imagery of the candle spreading you know and the light and so everybody has their individual light but that idea of like if you start snuffing out one here and snuffing out one there it's, it's like everybody loses that light <laughs> that should have been there and, and and we're always doing that and confession you know brings it back and, and that's you know or a little kid describe it that way. And I was like, that's, I'm stealing that kid. <laughs> that's, that's a good analogy. <laughs> or if, if you've ever been to those uh, tenebrae services yeah. in Holy Week, yeah. where the, the lights mm-hmm. slowly dim and go out, you know, it's right. very unsettling. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that means, that's a, it's a, basically it's office of readings and morning prayer um, from the liturgy, of the hours, and they're prayed in a very, um, powerful kind of dark with candles um, on um, Good Friday morning and Holy Saturday morning. And so there's a lot of um, symbolic imagery with candles and, and darkness and, and light. And um, yeah, very beautiful. If you've ever get a chance to, to partake in, in a Tenebrae service. Tenebrae is also a Sith Lord, but that's for a different show on SQPN. <laughs> Tune into our Secrets of Star Wars podcast, also on SQPN. Um, nice plug. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but seriously. Anyways, let's uh, jump into the, the the final act of this movie because there's still quite a bit to talk about, and I've been trying. We've been trying that we've been dancing around the topics, but it's gonna. We need to just kind of jump in with with both feet. So, um, after Aunt May uh, tragically is is killed, um, we have the 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 final kind of uh, arc here that happens with the introduction of. The Peter one and or I guess Peter two and Peter three, technically. <laughs> um, and I just absolutely loved this scene with with um, MJ and, and Ned. And and again, like I said, because I wasn't expecting it to be Andrew Garfield. And he has such a, a, a special place in my heart to have him be the one to come out first. Yeah, was for me, it just like made everything right with the world it was so <laughs> that, good. Needed, that needed to be the right order and i don't really know why yeah i think it's the his right. humor or i don't yeah it was perfect yeah yeah um and then just the whole the you know mj not trusting him and and forcing him to crawl around the ceiling was just appropriately <laughs> awkward for for andrews andrews peter but i i loved i loved every minute of that and it was ned ned's grandmother or his mom or his grandmother's yeah that yeah was oh, just, that was hilarious. like the setting if it were anywhere else it wouldn't have quite been as, as great as it was it was so perfect yeah and i think andrew garfield's like physicality of the character like like when that portal opens like he's he's pretty far down this yeah. alley but yeah. you see that tall he's, slender yep. like you know right away that's 
that's Garfield Spider-Man. It was like there's there's no mistaking it, I, and it's dark. I kept second it's, guessing it, it every step that he took closer. Yeah, and yeah he's, it was like he's older than me. I think he's like he's thirty eight. Me, and I'm like, good. Yeah, he's around your age. Yeah. He's around your age. Yeah, it's like this guy. And, I, I don't and, run. Yeah, it was like the portal opens and the the whole theater's like. Versus like oh yeah yeah and then and then when he nuts. the way he rips the mask off like it's yeah like everything like like I mentioned the, the his his physical performance I think was the perfect way and and it was a perfect balance between Toby's more like muted uh, performance mm-hmm. um, you know being the older uh, Peter Parker now the more uh, weathered one um, and I, I thought again that was a great uh a great choice in how to handle those characters um and and the uh, the points of their lives that that we see them in yeah so uh i want to talk about andrew garfield's peter parker uh for for just a little bit uh <laughs> because um actually I, I have less to say about toby's but andrew's i think is is really fascinating and and of course i'm biased because i've i've uh, been captivated with his version of the character um but there's there's so many cool things to say uh and first i'll say uh primarily he is basically the middle child here if you look at at mm. the three of them as brothers you know and and so i'm also a middle child so and we have <laughs> we share the same first name so like the actor and I do. (laughs) Okay. Besides all that, what I really loved about, about what they ended up doing here with the last kind of with, with Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker's arc here. um, It was really fascinating to kind of read some, some um, interviews and hear even Andrew Garfield talk a little bit in interviews after it was revealed that he was, he was in the movie. Um, Just some really cool things to point out because after the amazing Spider-Man two, um, you know, Gwen Stacy is is killed and uh, Peter is not able to save her. And so that really has this huge impact on on Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker. And it's rev- and, and at the end of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, you know, there was no movies that came out afterwards. So we couldn't get resolution. We couldn't quite see that that emotional journey that he was on. And so it it felt very disjointed where it ended. And that was when Tom Holland came on um, as the MCU version of the character. And so this movie was was really good, I think, for Andrew Garfield's character, because it allowed to bring some of that resolution for that from from that uh, from those movies. And in particular, some of the things that, that I would point out is that even um, Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker makes the comment you know, when they're on the rooftop and they're trying to console Tom Holland's Peter, you know, and Andrew Garfield is is saying that um, that the death of Gwen made him rageful and bitter. And and so he he is sharing that because he doesn't want Tom Holland's Peter to go down the same road, which is a very brotherly thing to do. You know, and Toby McGuire does the same thing when he talks about, you know, the the guy who uh, he thought killed Uncle Ben when he goes after him and wants revenge and how that didn't actually fulfill him either. But um, so Andrew Garfield's Peter is, you know, bitter and, and rageful. And even at one point when they're in the 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 school laboratory working away and Toby's Peter and Andrew's Peter are talking and they're talking about you know, whether or not Andrews Peter has a, has a MJ essentially. And he makes the comment that he doesn't have time for Peter Parker stuff. 
And so it's it's a really interesting thing that that he that character kind of pulled himself away from his humanity and focused on being Spider-Man only and kind of left Peter Parker kind of outside. And I and I think that through this mini arc of the character in this movie, we see him recognize the need for him to not just be Spider-Man, but to be Spider-Man and Peter Parker. And so I just I love how that kind of all plays out and even the healing that that Andrews Peter goes through by saving MJ as she falls off the the Statue of Liberty. Again, a that was huge awesome, moment man. of the, of the film, you know, the crowd you went nuts. The, yeah, there was, oh like a, there was like a two minute little interview clip I just saw where we finally Andrew Garfield can open up about that. And he talked about that. And I always get this wrong. Is, is it it's is it Zendaya? Zendaya, right? Is that the correct pronunciation? Zen, Zendaya. I think it's Zendaya. Because I think I said it Zendaya. Might be Zendaya, actually. I think I said Zendaya and, and my high school students like mocked and ridiculed me for like a week. You, know? <laughs> you like, might be right, actually. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I, I don't know. So I, I don't remember what it was. But but he, but he was talking about that scene. And, and um, I don't know, uh, Father, I might find the link and share it with you because it's only like two minutes. But it was really insightful as far as how which, first of all, it's always weird to me to hear for both Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield to hear them speaking with an English. Oh, accent. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, Cause it's like because they're full. Yeah, they're full to- British. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and, and Toby's sitting there like, well, I know I just actually sound like this. But um, <laughs> but no, it, it was it was a great um, really neat insight. Again, very short, like two minutes. But but how he talked about the the depth of the psychology of that. And I mean, I got it. I think we all got it when you saw it. It was done so well. But the care that he really took and how like she read off that and there was some, there's some improving with it. And, and so that was a really neat clip. I might share that she, with you. Maybe we can include that or something. She needed to but. check in on Peter to see if he was okay. And, and his, his face just said it all. I mean, there was that, that, yeah, it was it, he incredibly healing for him in that moment. Yeah. I think it might've been that same interview. He said that scene specifically like sold him on the movie. Like he's like when he when he read that, he's like, oh, yeah, this is this is beautiful, you know, and 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 he was like on board right away. By the way, father, real quick, before I forget earlier, but I, I just realized in case anyone was wondering why I was chuckling when you were talking about the rooftop consolation, I made a mistake. I was thinking of when they when Toby and Tom were trying to, like, console Andrew about how he's like an awesome oh. Spider-Man. He's a really good one. I was, I was thinking of that because that, yeah, yeah. that was oh. maybe my favorite scene, like him cracking, you know, Toby Maguire's yep. back. A little <laughs> spoiler there, of course, about when he when he's like, I'm back, I'm back and falls. And he's like, my back. Yep. You know, so it was just every little detail. that was so brilliant. And I love you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Well, and I think even that, that too was, so was improvised, that was improvised by, by Andrew yeah. Garfield. The, and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Andrew Garfield I believe he said in other interviews that he is a massive Spider-Man fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's almost like that saying, I love oh, you yeah. guys. It's like him saying, I love, I love this Sp- character. I love Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. I get to be in a movie where not only am I Spider-Man, but there's two other Spider-Man. That I love and I love to watch their movies. And yeah, I mean, you could just feel that. But it was somehow also like it, it wasn't out of place. Like it mm-hmm. made sense as the character to do it. It was Dude, so well done. It's It's so meta in that moment because... I mean, like even Andrew Garfield says, I've always wanted brothers. And so like, you know, so his Peter Parker now has the experience of having, you know, Toby's and and Tom's Peter's as as his brothers. But also, if you look at it on the actor perspective, those three actors are the only ones to have played 
Peter Parker in live action. And so even they three are sharing a brotherhood that only they currently are able to share. And so, so it's sort of a, a dual sort of, you know, I love you guys and, and the brotherhood that is formed there is, is, is really cool. And, and I mean, and I think that even shows in the characters in the movies, because you've got, you've got Toby's basically Toby's Peter being the, the eldest brother, you know, and see, so he's kind of the more calm and collected and and wise yeah, what, what do they call him the the hip youth pastor <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the cool youth that was pastor. hilarious yeah i lost it yeah because yeah. yeah. I, I i was you know youth minister for many years and i was just like oh my gosh <laughs> like, so you're gonna go dress like a like a cool youth pastor you know he's like, just like pulls it back and he's like no i got it and like okay good <laughs> oh yeah and those um you know, but also even just the, just the, the way that they interact with each other was was really fun to see play out on screen. So, you know, after they've created the um, the, the cures for for all of them, you know, and they, they have that moment after after Tom Holland's Peter has um, announced where they're at, the Statue of Liberty. And so then they're just waiting for the villains to show up. And, and so they start having those that conversation about, you know, who's who's the craziest villains that that, <laughs> that you guys have fought? And so they start that trying to one up each other with with stories and aliens. And, and Andrew doesn't doesn't even really try, you know, because, of course, like, yeah, they're both, oh, yeah, I fought an alien like in space. And Toby's like, OK, I'm, I'm still stuck on the part about how you fought an alien in space. Like, like he's like OK, all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and then that's where the. um uh, the you're amazing kind of comment came into play, which yes, I was, right. I was yep. kind of having a, a moment in the theater when, when they kept <laughs> saying that over and over again. And I was like, yes, the amazing Spider-Man. Yes. He's amazing. Um, uh, th- there's another fun moment there, uh, when they're in the, the laboratory and, uh, th- this is sort of the, uh, the, uh, the personification of the, of the, inf- or the, the meme of the three Spider-Men you know, pointing towards one another. So when they're in the laboratory and yep. And, and, uh, Ned, uh, is trying to get their attention and he says, you know, Hey Peter. And, and then they all respond like, uh, w- w- which one? And they start pointing at each other. Uh, <laughs> Peter, Peter Parker. <laughs> we're, we're all Peter Parker. Oh, it's a multiverse. <laughs> so, uh, lots of, lots of fun things like that. Um, well, and Ned asking about, you know, do you have a best friend? <laughs> and, how, and how awkward that got. Well, yeah, and, I did. And I was I was just reading earlier today that actually there's a character in the comics that's that's Ned's character that becomes the Hobgoblin. I do. Yeah, I, and I, saw I, and I don't really too. know any more than that. So, like, I, I don't even know really what to there, say. There, like were, there, there were there were theories that before the movie came out that, oh, what if Ned becomes because yeah it was very it was a very loose interpretation of a character that was kind of maybe ned and then it's not it's not really that based in a uh a real like core character in spider-man lore so that was something um, I said, the headline i saw said something yeah. like you know come on marvel you'll have some guts and make ned the hobgoblin it was like this this dare i'm like i i think they're making him a sorcerer well I, yeah i don't think that they're <laughs> done with his character they're, no, they're, no, they're setting oh, him up I doubt for, it. for yeah, for yeah. big things, and and they're obviously not done with Zendaya's character either. No, yeah, they, well, and they're going to have to probably rediscover some stuff and talents, and you know, because forgetting Peter obviously challenges that. So, mm-hmm. 
um, talking about the fight scene, you know, kind of the, the climax of the, of the entire, uh, the entire movie. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that words fail to describe how awesome this was, but what did you guys think of the, the epic fight that, that goes down at the end? Uh, phenomenal. I mean, just what else can you say? It's seeing them all in costumes swinging around like the, the, the now iconic shot of when they swing and they land. I want um, autographs from all three of them on that photo. I'm, I'm, and I'm sure you're going to get on that right away. I, I'm watching uh, for, for them to do signings. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that was instantly iconic. And um, I just love how they were able to be in character uh, while fighting. So, mm-hmm. that, you know, a lot of the like, you know, they, they made a lot of mistakes, you know, because you have two Peters that are not uh, <laughs> that was used funny. to being on a team. Yeah, right. The, <laughs> the, Avengers. the Avengers. Wow. We're, Who are, are they? Are, they? <laughs> are you in a band? Yeah. Are you in a band? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I so yeah I'm glad how I'm glad that they were able to to kind of use that as like okay they're not going to perfectly just you know interweave and 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 know what to do and uh it it was it was nice to have those like comedic moments uh you know in between like this this huge battle of like <laughs> life and death um uh and and the fabric of reality you know crushing down is like there's still time for you know, for what is like a, a, a pivotal, uh, you know, quality of a Spider-Man character is to have these little moments of comedic relief. I'm glad that we were able to have those like the from the Avengers to the Peter one, Peter two, Peter three thing to you're amazing and, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, I think I thought it was a great balance of that. And 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 again, just. You know, since we've seen since we've seen these characters like defeat these villains before, like it's not a stretch that like they were, most of the characters were pretty easy to put down. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, like Electro and Lizard and Sandman, like they were, they were pretty much a, you know, a cinch and, and it was cool seeing Doc Ock to yeah. come in, you know, and you have like the, Oh, the power of the sun in my hand as he's holding the mm-hmm. Stark reactor. It's like, Oh no, is he? Oh, it's like, okay, we're, we're good. We're good. Um, yeah, it was it was brilliantly played, and and it left the the stage, you know, for the that the the real final battle between Tom Holland's uh, Spider Man against Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, and of course, uh, I'm sure we're we're about to talk about it, but uh, Tobey Maguire's uh, you know uh, interference there, and and his influence on on Tom Holland's Spider Man, and having his character come full circle, and you know. Obviously, his Peter Parker wanted to save Norman because Norman was, you know, a mentor to him and and uh, the the father of his best friend. Uh, so, being able to to have that moment uh, combined with everything else, uh, and again, obviously Andrew Garfield's moment with with uh, MJ, uh, having him evolve in that way, 
it was it, it was perfect. Uh, I don't know how you could have sort of done it any better. And I thought Doctor Strange came in at the right time. And you know, the, again, the joke about you know being <laughs> where yeah, he was over the Grand Canyon, Canyon for twelve, for 12 hours. hours. Yeah, uh, kind of a callback to uh, to, to Loki. Uh, yep. Um, <laughs> it's like I've been falling for thirty minutes. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was great. It, it kind of had a taste of his own medicine. So uh, it was. Uh, yeah, all in all, I, I don't have anything. Uh, there's nothing I would have changed. So, uh, the, the final battle was perfectly executed in my eyes. Both of Tom Holland's one on ones with Norman Osborne, the Green Goblin, surprised me in like how brutal they were physically. I, I think it's easy to, I think it's easy to forget sometimes that both Spider Man and Green Goblin have super strength. So when they throw down, they break stuff, <laughs> you know, like there's there's that earlier fight where they're fighting in the apartment building and they're slamming down through multiple floors, crashing through walls, all that stuff. And then, of course, the final confrontation, you feel those hits when they are punching each other like you, you feel it's like, it it's like Terminator and your... T-1000 kind of like, I know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like yeah. <clears throat> I, I just laughed because I agree with everything you guys were, were saying. I, I, a little joke here, though, because I was thinking, like, speaking of the, the, for me, like the high school throwback, I couldn't help but I knew it wouldn't happen. But there's a little part of me that was hoping for just, you know, seeing Hugh Jackman swing around one of those spikes coming off Lady Liberty's head, you know, just like in an uh, X-Men or Magneto's floating around. Cause <laughs> but, but what was neat was, I mean, that's I truly that did that that. That setting hit me when that scene started because I I wasn't skeptical of where they'd go with it, but I was just like, you know, it's tricky because like how many movie fight scenes have we seen on the Golden Gate Bridge or, you know, the Statue of Liberty? And is this going to be like, what are they going to do with this? So I, I was very impressed that it was it was fresh. You know, here's this this like very well known setting, iconic setting for a moment like this, but different than we've seen it before. And so I, I really appreciated that and there was just the only other thing i wanted to add was i think with to have tom as you know the, the this this newest spider-man really squaring off in this culminating battle with the original villain there's something poetic i think about that like this book ended like it, it that if 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 they had somehow made doc ock the ultimate villain which wouldn't have worked anyway like i just and if it was anyone else i don't think it would have worked as well like i feel like it needed to be norman osborne he you know, is the, the joke quintessential was, Spider-Man villain. He is. And, and we were joking because Willem Dafoe is such an interesting person. <laughs> we, were, we were laughing a few times, like where he gets just gets really creepy, like in the apartment and stuff. I'm like joking, like, you know, Willem didn't even know the cameras were rolling, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> just like what's 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 he doing? But uh, no, that was just perfect. I thought the way that he plays that as an actor is truly breathtaking. I mean, even the, the moment when he is he is hit with the cure at the end, just the way that his eyes are wide and they go back to being soft when he's back to being Norman is is I mean, it's it's so cool to see. And it's yeah, he's he's such an incredible actor and he's he's not a very young guy anymore. And he you know, all of them were, were able to to really pull this off in a, in a very in a very compelling and. Um, just remarkable way. And he only agreed to do the role if he could do most of his own stunts, like mm -hmm. the fight scenes. Cause he, he's like, I don't want to just, you know, 
basically be a voiceover right like, or I, be I, a I cameo like, of, of sorts yeah yeah so he yeah, he's, he's he's 66 yeah 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 yeah, yeah physically he's yeah i mean along with his such a unique face with unique features and uh being able to like you felt like like we were mentioning uh right now like we were able to feel like every punch from that fight <laughs> this is such a brutal spider-man fight <laughs> especially at the end it's 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 really it was really special yeah um only a couple things that i would i would point out about this is that I've always joked, at least with my dad, that like it seems like in every Spider-Man film or practically every superhero film, like the, the major battle has to happen like on a tower or on a bridge or on some, you know, skyscraper. There's got to be there's got to be like being able to fall stakes that are, that happen. So, you know, so I wasn't surprised that we were at another I uh, location that that had that. I was really confused that they thought um that Captain America's shield should go on the Statue of Liberty, though. But you know, like it, 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 it seems a bit much. It, you know, that's. I don't the, think Steve would want that. <laughs> um, you know, so but it, but it allowed. Since so when does the government do what Steve wants? <laughs> right. That's that's a good point. I mean, um, is, he from, is he from Brooklyn? You know, I don't think Steve oh, yeah, wants yeah. that. Come on. Um, the other thing that I would point out, and this is more symbolically, is that um, I always appreciate it when like the the final kind of culmination happens at sunrise, because there's a there's a very cool symbolicness of, and even that's Christian in in nature of like you know you've you've passed through the dark night and you are coming to the to the sunrise Easter morning so to speak. Yep, 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 all of that. So I I liked I liked the play that that happened pretty much right at sunrise. Um, yeah. And I think that was all. What's that was- interesting is that Peter, he, he basically loses everything. You know, it, Aunt, Aunt May is gone. He loses his connection to everyone, but yet he's kind of reborn. He's kind of resurrected in a way as a new person with a new lease on life, a new destiny. I, I thought that was very poetic. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, and speaking of that, I guess that, that, that's kind of the, the final, kind of um, post climax sort of part of the movie is, is that, you know, in order to fix everything, everyone has to forget Peter Parker. And it took me a little bit to kind of rationally kind of realize what was going on and that it was different than the spell that they had tried to cast earlier. So, so rather than Dr. Strange making people forget that, uh, that Peter Parker was Spider-Man, the new spell makes everyone forget Peter Parker in general. So, you know, and so I, I had to kind of like think, OK, those are two distinct kind of spells happening. And so and they they, they kind of they they show that in, in a kind of a cool way. One of the things is, is when he's moving into the the, the apartment, um, you'll see that he actually he has a GED study guide. Because everybody at Midtown High would have forgotten who Peter Parker is, and so he would have to go <laughs> get a GED, no MIT for 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 him there. Um, and but what about what about happy, though? I, I, I don't want to anyone else was going to bring that up, but I was wondering why ha- happy's visiting Aunt May's grave. I think he, I think the that, only that, that reason he uh, knows her. Right. Or well, he makes Peter. the comment that he knew her through Spider-Man. So 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 you yeah. could probably kind of wrap your mind around it and that happy happy still yeah. helped Spider-Man without knowing that it was Peter. Okay, yeah. But now how that rewrites some of the earlier movies, 
I'm not sure you want to get too deep in the weeds for that. I love John Favreau too much to split hairs over that. So, because <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you could kind of go down all sorts of rabbit holes of of you yeah. know, of that. But um, you know, this is definitely one of those where it's a beautiful scene, though. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah. You know, now, now that everyone's forgotten who Peter Parker is and that he's Spider Man, Flash Thompson doesn't have his book deal anymore. Right. <laughs> I thought of that too. I was like, oh, Flash. Um, speaking of that, uh, I, I have kind of listed, um, a number of Easter eggs. I don't know if you guys kind of, um, notice these at all or not either, but, um, Flash's book is called Flashpoint. And if you know, if you know comics at all, that's a nod to DC's the Flash character who went back in time to prevent his, or his, his, uh, his mom from being killed and created an alternate timeline called Flashpoint. So, so yeah, so that was, in fact, there was someone on Twitter that was trying to tell Flash Thompson that he doesn't have copyright on that name and he was going to have to pay royalties for it. (laughs) So, um, a number of, of other, uh, just kind of fun Easter eggs that I, that I, uh, picked up on was, um, at the very beginning of the, the movie when, uh, Spider-Man is swinging uh, MJ. You see advertisements for Rogers, the musical as it was seen in Hawkeye. So that was the most disappointing end credits thing I've ever seen in Marvel. We kept waiting for like, where's like, you know, okay. What a troll that was. Yeah. I have to say, I really enjoyed it though. (laughs) It was funny. It reminded me, like I told Christine, we were watching my wife and we were watching and I was like, at the end, I was like, See, this is where you need to have Steve Rogers come out again and do the thing he did. I forget which one it was. Where he's like, patience often doesn't seem like it. Like, wasn't that the end of the first Spider-Man movie? Because he kept being in all those public service announcements. Right. At the very end, you wait and he just comes out and he's just like, and sometimes it doesn't pay off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Um, okay. So a few other uh, Easter eggs. Uh, Norman Osborn, uh, when he's in the the cell and in uh, Dr. Strange's basement, and there and uh Peter is is trying to get them to come with them to help save the villains. Uh Norman makes the comment, you know, that he can help because he says, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself. So call back to I love that so much. Call back to the to the first Spider-Man movie. Um <laughs> there was also a fight on a bridge, and um uh which of course happens in the first Spider-Man movie and in the Amazing Spider-Man. And um I don't even know if this was intentional or not, but there's a there's a moment there when the lizard uh, gets through the portal and is chasing MJ and Ned as they have the the, the box with the spell through the the laboratory at mid or the the lab at at Midtown High. Um, same sort of thing happened in the Amazing Spider Man where the lizard is is fighting Peter in Midtown High. Um. Oh, this was a fun one for me. So so when um Max is cured and de-electrified and Andrew Garfield's Peter and him are talking you have the theme from the amazing Spider-Man playing musically in the background which was a which was an mm-hmm. awesome nod musically cool. to, to that yeah. movie um, you also have at that point where Max makes the comment that that there should be a black Spider-Man out there somewhere and of course <laughs> oh, we yeah. all know I that there's Jamie Foxx there. uh-huh. <laughs> and there is Miles Morales um Oh, and then this one was kind of fun. So so this was almost the equivalent of the MCU Sinister Six. So you've got you've got the five villains, but then you have Venom as villain number six 
but he just was too drunk to come and play. (laughs) So that was also kind of fun. And then, and then the star Wars Legos, uh, I don't know if you were paying attention, but he was building the death star in the apartment in happy's apartment as he was getting the, the acceptance <laughs> letters from the colleges, he was building a death star and then the, the robot knocks it over. Yep. Um, and, and in, uh, in, um, the first, in the MCU first Spider-Man movie. Yeah. It, yeah. Did, it doesn't like Ned have it built. And then he sees Peter as Spider-Man. Yes. He drops it and shatters <laughs> yes. into a million pieces. He stands up yep. and shatters. It was a great, cause Peter comes in on the, the ceiling and it's so, and he like, discreetly shuts it and jumps down and Ned's just, <laughs> brilliant um the other kind of sentimental thing that i noticed was um at the very end when he um has just uh well he's 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 created his, his new spider-man suit he still has the the cup from uh the donut shop that he got from mj mm. so that that's sitting on his desk there um and then i guess to point out too is that that new suit at the very end is is more reminiscent of um kind of the 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 comic versions of the spider-man suit it's also more in line with with toby and andrew's versions of the spider-man suit so this is also keeping in line with kind of tom holland's peter you know kind of starting starting fresh starting new and you know using that to to go out and be the the friendly neighborhood step spider-man i was hoping though that he that he would have a uh, you know, a quick little like even if you just see him swinging over or something in Hawkeye when they're at Rockefeller right. Center, but that didn't I work out about with the timing. That or, and then at like the, he he would have he would have gotten in it, yeah. you know. But because you know. by the time that well by by the end of of No Way Home, <clears throat> the Christmas tree is not yet knocked over, so it's not yet the right. <laughs> the end of Hawkeye. But it's clearly in the same. Yes, yeah, so like what's he doing <laughs> when all of that chaos is ensuing? He just he was on his way. And, <laughs> Um, and then I guess, uh, one, one other question to, to throw at you guys is, did you expect Tom Holland's Peter to refrain from trying to convince MJ and Ned who he was? I, they had me on the edge of my seat, but again, like I was saying earlier with the stakes, like Mm -hmm. you don't know what he's going to do. And it's not a quick little, like, you know, honestly, and maybe she'll remember, like there's ways they could go with it. I was a little nervous because it's almost identical to the beats and this, this, like the end of a uh, uh, fantastic beast and where to find them. <laughs> you know, when, when, uh, do you remember that? Like if you saw that when she goes in the pastry shop and he doesn't remember her, but yeah. they're having this conversation, I was like, this seems very familiar, <laughs> but, but, uh, but it was a very different, very painful, but, but like honest kind of thing. I, I just, yeah, it, it really hit me. I loved it. I'm glad that they didn't, they they I'm glad that they went they they made it a true sacrifice and they didn't uh-huh. cheapen it by magically, you know, having MJ just remember who he was or or even right. you know, kind of I think I think the sacrifice is, is very helpful for, for Peter's character, even as heartbreaking as it is. I think it I think yeah. it was very good. And remember she said there was I think the little preview was when when she was telling him like you know, you come and find me and explain it, because if not, I'm just going to you know figure it out anyway, like I did before. Nah, that's something there, you know, maybe she she'll figure out who Spider-Man is. But but then that will somehow be like, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't think she's gone. I'll put Some, it that someone way. Someone pointed out that the, the necklace that she was wearing was one that Peter had given her in a previous movie. 
Now I haven't really oh. looked at that, yeah, or not, but yeah, I think it it broke when they were uh, fighting Mysterio, right? Yeah, in London or something. Sounds right. So, so I mean, they're, they're, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, there's there's potential there for sure. Well, if Ned becomes a sorcerer, he can just you know he reverse just... the spell. <laughs> <thing>. Yeah, <laughs> but you, you know what? They could actually go the route in uh, in the recent uh, Spider-Man video game for PS4. MJ is an investigative reporter. Oh, so that's if, fun. Huh? If, if they take this route with her, that's that fun. could be a an avenue where she's she's investigating Spider-Man and trying to find out who he is. And that could be a way that, you know, she could reconnect with Peter. In that and way. she's in conflict with Jameson because she's trying to do real <laughs> journalism. And he's like, the, I mean, there's. Oh, like, yeah. Damn, come on. Well, she is really? going to MIT, so I don't know if right. she's going there for journalism. But that's true. Yeah, that's, that's that could true. be some, maybe there's something there. But uh, well, gents, uh, do you have any final thoughts that we haven't actually talked about yet? Because this, I, we could continue this conversation for hours, I'm sure. But uh, the only the only thing I'd throw in is is I'm I'm hopeful. I, I don't know all the inner workings. No one does, but the uh, I'm hopeful for. In the it's you know the, the sort of Sony Spider Verse is sort of a little different. It's its own thing. They're they're doing a lot, but there's crossover. If I'm remembering correctly, you see, you know, I mean, Michael Keaton's in the Morbius trailer, you know, and, and so there's some sort of I don't know how all the licensing works with mm-hmm. it, but uh, there's strong you know desire and, and rumors about Andrew Garfield back in the mix for their Sinister Six, you know, which they're working on supposedly so i would be we'll all see. on board That's for my that hope. one and it, it doesn't contradict this it's it's brilliant the way they've set this up mm-hmm. it's almost like they planned this 20 years ago but they didn't <laughs> clearly not but yeah i there is no doubt in my mind that garfield and mcguire are going to come back um i think garfield more so um <clears throat> you know Mag- i know toby was was probably the more difficult one to to get on board because he's just more selective. He, I mean, he's kind of semi-retired from acting. I mean, he hasn't done much in the past, like, you know, 10 years. Um, but I think this being, you mentioned it at the top, it was like this already the sixth largest, you know, movie box office wise of all time. They're going to back up the Brinks truck for both these guys to come back. I, I think, I think it wouldn't surprise me if Garfield has his own, film by himself maybe garfield is going to be like the the spider-man to tom hardy's venom i've heard rumors uh, about that yeah yeah there's so much speculation out there so uh it would have surprised me if that were to come true somehow that um, grit works with him even though right, he's yeah kind of goofy but the, his movies were you know like he said too they built up this character that uh, he got he went darker didn't pull his punches and yeah. remember venom says Maybe I should go to New York and find this Spider-Man guy. So maybe he does that in the third Venom movie. Who, who knows? That would be maybe kind of knows. Awesome. But I think, yeah, I think like Toby, like he probably won't have his own film, but he'll definitely cameo or, or be a, another featured, you know, uh, whether they're leading up to whatever the next big MCU event's going to be, maybe Secret Wars is maybe what they're leading up to. Uh um with secret invasion coming out later this year uh who knows it's if, it, if they're doing a secret wars then you can have anyone and everyone from any universe come in so uh uh i think uh we're we're definitely going to see these guys again 
And that makes me really excited and happy. And I think they did it in a way to where it doesn't cheapen um, Tom Holland's Spider-Man. There's room for him uh, to, to be successful as well. It was a beautiful honoring of all the characters involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I guess we didn't mention yet, but um, there's also now the option of Venom in the MCU, which was part mm-hmm. of the post credit scene. So well done. The mystery <laughs> of it. <laughs> Yeah, but he got sent right back. You know, (laughs) I I, I like how I like how they've been teasing the multiverse, like like in Loki. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the multiverse is open, and then it got shut, and then in here, it's like the multiverse is open, and then it got shut. You know, so it's like in multiverse of madness. Like, oh, that looks crazy. It's like okay, like how many times do we have to like? shut the multiverse <laughs> so it's 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 kind of funny it's that uh we have all these consecutive shows and and films now where people are messing with the multiverse and not quite learning their lesson um but it's like the little kid who keeps leaving the door open in winter and dad's like you know <laughs> close the door how many times you know i'm i'm, you let yeah. a raccoon in. I'm excited <laughs> to see where the mcu takes it because i've i've been a fan mm-hmm. of the the dc tv universe for for years and they've they've played with the multiverse for 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 deck well probably a decade or or so at this point but for the dc tv universe the multiverse was never quite the threat that it seems to be in the mcu and so i'm i'm very i'm very excited to see where the mcu takes it as as kind of this yeah a lot more mysterious a lot more consequential um in what in what it's it might it might do to the entirety of the cosmos um so and yeah so that's coming because that was also the uh, i was sort of disappointed it was just a trailer for the multiverse of madness it wasn't a scene that played out but i'm still super excited for it um so i think unless um any of you guys have anything final to add um, I think that wraps up our conversation, um, at least for tonight, that wraps up the conversation. So uh, before we do wrap up fully, though, we would like to to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of movie and t- movies and TV sh- shows, including Mike K, Hector M, Matthew R, Jesse J and Thomas M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of movies and TV shows and all the shows at StarQuest. If you've been thinking about becoming a StarQuest patron, now is the time. Visit sqpn.com slash give today. And so that is it from us and listeners. We, of course, would like to keep the conversation going and we want to know what you thought of Spider-Man No Way Home. So please reach out to us and let us know. You can comment on the show at sqpn.com slash secrets, or you can comment on our posts on Facebook. Just find uh, search for the StarQuest Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. And you can send us email to secrets at sqpn.com. So until next time, Andrew Hermes, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Spider-Man No Way Home. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And Mike Creevy, thanks for joining us this evening. Always a blast. And Thomas Salerno, thank you for joining us as well for this awesome conversation. It's been a grand adventure, guys. And once again, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter. 
Thank you for listening to the secrets of movies and TV shows on StarQuest. <laughs>